reality of it is that the structure can be in place, the building can be built, but before you can occupy, there has to be somebody that comes by. And yes, normally they'll go through the whole process. There will be an inspector who comes out, inspects the foundation, inspects the framing, inspects the plumbing, inspects the electrical. But then there is a final inspection that must take place. And I want you to realize that that inspector has the power to let you in or keep you out. You're not going to overpower them. You're not going to overrule them. You're not going to overthrow them. They have the final say. Many of us are having flashbacks right now of an inspector that you've had to deal with. Every project we've ever done at the church, we've never really had a problem. But I've always went up first to the inspector and I said, I realize you have the final authority. I don't want to argue with you, but I don't want to redo anything. You tell me what to do and we'll do it. And I'll be your best friend, you'll be mine. And it all works out right. Because you have to respect the authority. Now, regardless of how I really feel about that deep down in my spirit, is irrelevant. I know that in this world, you will have persecution, the Bible says, and many of them can come through forms of inspections. But you know, also, there's such a spiritual parallel here. Because in our spiritual journey, there will be a final inspection. To your life as a believer and how you've lived. We have this mentality in our Western culture now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have called it cheap grace. And it means that we cheapen the grace of God so much that we just can live. We think that God loves us and he died for us so that we can live any old way we want to. My friends, that may be popular preaching today, but it's not the word of God. I'm going to say that again. It may be popular preaching today, but it's not the word of God. You may be watching at home or on television, and there's a lot of popular preachers on television that you may tune in and watch, and, you know, boy, they make you feel good about yourself. You'll, you'll watch them, and you'll feel good. And a lot of my people ask me about certain preachers, and I say, well, if you're down and you want to feel good, listen to them. But at the end of the day, we don't have the luxury or the privilege to take the monopoly of just the good stuff and only preach about the good stuff. Because you see, if your car battery only had one post on it, it would never crank your car. You see, the Word of God, you either have to take the whole thing or none at all. And the Bible tells us that, yes, He died for us. Yes, He loved us as sinners. Yes, when we were on our worst day of our life, He went to the cross and He died for us so that we may have life and we may have it more abundantly. But I want you to know something, when you accept the grace of God, when you accept the grace of God, it changes your life. If it doesn't change your life, then you've never accepted the grace of God. You say, oh, preacher, that's narrow-minded and bigotry. Really? I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and if there is no evidence on the outside that he is in you on the inside, it's the best evidence you'll ever have that he's not really on the inside. The mark of a believer is 
Not that you get a list of things that you can't do anymore because that's not what Christianity is. That's legalism. That's not what Jesus went to the cross for to, to give you a list of do's and don'ts. Matter of fact, he went a little further and he said, there's a lot of freedom and liberty with the grace of God. But the freedom and liberty and the grace of God is a lot like a loaded weapon. You better handle it respectfully and carefully, lest you wound yourself and others that are looking up to you. Today there will be a final inspection. As we have gone through this sermon phase by phase, as we have built this house, I realize that we skipped a lot of the decorating in the interior, but really and truly that's just a lot of window dressing, and you can just do that really any old way that meets your preference, amen. But what about the final inspection? When everything is done, the electrical, the power's in the house, the plumbing's in the house, and we just need to put the people in the house. Well, the Bible says a lot about that. Let's read it this morning. If you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> I, want to re- I want you to turn there. Turn in 1 Corinthians 3. There's a lot that I want you to underscore here. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Brethren, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people. But I had to talk to you as babies in Christ. I fed you milk. Not solid food. Because you were not able to receive it. In fact, you are still not able. Because you are carnal. Fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? And living like ordinary people? Would you underline that in your Bible? Am I living like an ordinary person? Because if you are, something's wrong. Because there's something extraordinary in you if you're a believer in Christ that should not produce ordinary fruit. Well, that's not my message, but let me move on. He goes on, he says, for since there is, you're living our ordinary people, for whenever someone says, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, are you not acting like typical men? Choosing teams and taking sides. So what is Apollos? And who is Paul? I'll tell you what they are. They're servants through whom you believe. And each has the role the Lord has given them. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase or the growth. So then neither... The one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Would you underline that in your Bible? Is anything. Is, neither one is anything. Woo. Boy, if you're looking for a feel-good message, that wouldn't be the verse you want to read. John the Baptist put it this way, I must decrease so that he could increase. So as we move forward here with this, you say, what, what in the world has this got to do with a final inspection, preacher? Stay with me. Stay with me right here. Verse 8. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equal. 
Oh my goodness, what happened to preeminence? Now maybe we could, let's just stop right here for a minute. Maybe we could substitute names of Paul and Apollos because, and maybe we could just start putting in denominational names there. Now boy, if you don't think denominations want to have a level of preeminence, just hang around some of that crowd. They'll tell you the only way you can get to heaven, some of them, is to be part of this church. Really. I, I, guys, I thought the only way to heaven was through the shed blood of Jesus and the power of the resurrection. And they want to lift themselves to a level of preeminence. Let me move on. That's meddling. But here's what he says. He says, verse 8, Are they not equal? And will each one, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor that means you can't piggyback on the works of your mom or dad when you get to heaven yesterday we was at a ball game ella got in free because she was with us she was a child a little kid she didn't have to pay because after we paid all we paid i guess they figured they'd let her in for free but when you get to heaven you won't be able to say well i'm a child I can, I'm going to go in with mom and dad. I'm going to go in with me, ma, or papa. No, you got to stand on your own merit. It says right here, each one according to his own works. Now look at this, verse 9. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. Underline those two things. And circle this next one. You are God's building. Hmm, now we're getting down to where the Final inspection meets the road. Verse 10, according to the grace of God that was given to me as a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. Underline this in your Bible. Must be careful how he builds on it. Because no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid in Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will be will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. Verse 14. If Anyone's work that he has built on survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. But he will be saved, as yet even though through the fire. Do you not know that you are the sanctuary? Boy, underline that in your Bible. Do you not know that you are the sanctuary? and the spirit of God lives in you I know you don't like it but we need verse 17 if anyone ruins God's sanctuary God will ruin him for God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are 1 Corinthians was a book that was filled with paganism they were saints of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes out his letter and his greeting and salutation to the saints of God at the church of Corinth. 
He never said another encouraging word until he got to chapter 13. I mean, they were having sex at the church, around the church, in the church, with fornication. They were fornicating with family members. I'm telling you, they were having drunken orgies. I mean, you want to talk about a carnal church. God looked at them. Paul, God looks at them, and through the hand of Paul, he says, to the saints. My goodness, to the saints. And I'm telling you, 1 Corinthians is a stinging rebuke of carnal Christianity. Christianity without a cross. Christianity without conviction. Christianity without redemption. Christianity, 1 Corinthians, is an address to cheap grace. Cheap grace. To accept the love of Christ and trample it through the trenches of the world. And live any old way you want to. There's a lot of popular preaching today. A mega church preacher came out not long ago and said, you know what? I believe that we can't allow a document that was written thousands of years ago to tell us how we are to deal with the issue of homosexuality. And so, man, he says, you know, eventually within a couple of years, the whole church will have to embrace it. Well, you know what? We want that, that wants to fire us up. That fires us up is people who are in the South and have a couple of convictions left. But I'm telling you that we really can't get fired up about that because we caved in to the issue of sexuality a long time ago. I mean, we can't get fired up over the issue of homosexuality if we don't get fired up about the issue of fornication and adultery and lust. You know, I mean, we, we can't get fired. We can't pick and choose. And for so long, we didn't want to lose church members or we didn't want to lose money. And so we just watered down the word of God. And well, as long as they do it in, in private, nobody knows about it. I have a saying. It's called ignorance is blessed if you're a preacher. Not bliss, blessed. Because once you know about it, you got to deal with it. Sometimes I just don't want to know about it. I don't want to know about it because I don't want to have to deal with it. But God called us to deal with it because we are the church of God. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. It doesn't matter if we build a house. I mean, we saw on the video clip before the sermon. I mean, this dude built the house. Everything was intact. He said, I'll tell you what, it's not a threat. It's the law. If you don't get this thing right, I will bulldoze it down. I'm telling you today, I wish I could tell you in my flesh that you could live any old way you wanted to because it'd make you like me a whole lot better. I wish I could tell you that you could just prissy around any way you want to, live contrary to the Word of God, and you could get into heaven and God would say, it's okay, you really didn't know any better, and you gave it your best shot. I'm telling you, oh, mercy. I'm good, gracious, I want you to know and we live in a world that says you can have a trophy if you just participate. A participation trophy. I mean, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and tell them they didn't measure up. I want you to know on the authority of the Word of God, you may get to, to the place of God. You will not get a participatory trophy. You will either be in or out. Mm, mm, mm. I want to introduce to you a term that you may not know much about. It's called the Bema. The Bema. The Bema judgment seat of Christ. 
in what was happening here in this passage of Scripture. Paul talks about how they're carnal and they're taking sides and they're choosing and they're picking. There's two judgment seats in the Bible. One is the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation that every man will stand before. I'm telling you, you think those terrorists are getting away with all that's going on? I want you to know, it may just seem like it for a season, but one day Jihad John will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I'm telling you, he will give an account for everything he's ever done. And I want you to understand, that's the great white throne judgment where the lost are. Where the Now, the interesting thing is, Man, I may run out of time here this morning. But the great white throne judgment will be surrounded by the believers of Christ who have already been judged at the Bema judgment seat of Christ. You see, it's where we will be cheering on the, the judging at the great white throne of judgment. Now, the Bema judgment seat of Christ, the word Bema in the Greek is found in the book of Romans and also in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It talks about the Bema judgment seat of Christ. It, it was literally, they called it the Bema because it was an elevated platform where they would bring people in and they would judge them before them and they would cast out rewards. It was in correlation with the Greek athletic uh, where the Olympics started. They would elevate a platform and they would come in and they would give out rewards they would give out the 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 victor's wreath according to the way they ran the race according to the way they competed are you with me now that's what paul is talking about right here he says each one of us will be judged according to our works we understand that we've been saved if you have been saved and filled with the holy spirit Feel with the Holy Spirit, then you have laid the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. Now be careful how you build is what the Word of God says here. Because everything that we do in our flesh, we're building on it. And look at what he says right here very clearly. Man, as we look at this, uh, the Bible teaches us clearly in Revelations 22 and 12. He says, look, I am coming and I'm bringing my reward with me. Now, I want you to understand we have to be careful about how we look at rewards, and most preachers don't want to talk about it because they're scared that I'm going to give a, they'll give away a false precept that I'm teaching somebody that they're trying to earn their, their, their way to heaven. You're not earning your way to heaven. I'm telling you that Jesus loves you enough that when you get to heaven, he's going to allow us to have rewards. There's rewards that the Bible talks about. There's a the martyr's reward. I'm telling you that when those people get to heaven, there's a, there's a reward that's laid up for them. There's the everlasting life. There's the shepherding reward. There's reward after reward after reward. Five rewards that one can attain. And what he's saying right here is that we must understand the primary purpose of the rewards. The primary purpose of the rewards is found in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. It's to narrow down the carnality from the spiritual. The world, the flesh, from the spiritual. When you look at this, he talked about several things. He says, now each one plants, each one builds. Not only are you laborers in God's field, but you are God's building. I mean, you're God's building. You are God's temple. The primary purpose of the final inspection is that we would be the partner, that we could enjoy the return on our partnership with Jesus Christ, that we could be his dwelling place. 
the place where God dwells, in our flesh, in our spirit, we are the temple of a holy God. The primary purpose. Then the second thing is the completed investment. When you're going through the, uh, the last, the final inspection, you look at the primary purpose of building it, and you say, well, it was for either commercial, and they judge it according to the commercial standard, or it was residential, they judge it according to the residential standard, because the standards that have to be met on residential or commercial buildings are separate. Now, the thing you have to understand is that there is only one standard to get to heaven. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. There's only one standard to get to heaven. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You're saved by faith through the grace of God. And so as we look at this today, the interesting thing is that it's that we would be the partner, that we would be the dwelling place where God dwells. In the Old Testament, here's what they wanted to do. They built this huge tabernacle, this huge temple where, the, the, where God would would dwell and meet there with his children. That was the purpose of the veil and all of that. And I could spend a whole six weeks on the tabernacle of God and all of that in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he says, I know I, he really wasn't upset when they destroyed it because he didn't come to dwell in things made by hands, but he came to dwell inside of us. Therefore, God's not looking to dwell in buildings made with hands, but inside you and I. And so the part of the Christ life is that we would embrace the grace of God. It takes us where we are, regardless of the bondage, regardless of the deception, regardless of the hardship, and says, I love you just as you are. Yes, just as I am without one plea that thy blood was shed for me. He loves us enough to receive us there, but not leave us there. Amen. The second thing about this is the completed investment. In verse 10, let's read that verse here again. According to the grace of God that was given to me, a skilled master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds upon it, but each one must be careful how he builds. You see, my friends, when all is complete, others won't matter. You won't be able to say, well, I didn't serve you because a deacon made me mad one time. And I just gave up on this whole thing. You won't be able to say, well, I didn't serve you because I heard what a television preacher did and it just got all over me. And if that's how Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. You won't be able, let me get a little closer. You won't be able to say, well, I didn't serve you because everybody was hypocrites that was Christians. So I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to partner with you, God, because... I didn't want to partner in your kingdom, God, because I didn't want to be around hypocrites. Well, listen, there's doctors that are hypocrites, but you still go to them. There's bankers that are hypocrites, but you still go to them. Listen, you, we can either decide to go to church with them or hell with them. Man, I just said hell in preaching. You're not supposed to do, is that politically correct still? I mean, amen. You got to decide which, where do I want to be? I mean, we go to the ballpark with them. We go everywhere in the world with them. But Lord, uh-uh, I'm not going to church with them. So Lord, I just won't serve you. Now, Lord, you know I love you. And you know, I, Lord, you know I'll 
do whatever you want me to, Lord. I'll sit over here in my home and pray about it. Well, let me move on. When all is completed, others won't matter. When that building inspector shows up for that final inspection, it won't matter. The only thing that will matter is what did you do with Jesus? How did you live? When all is complete, it's not the end. You still have to move in. You still have to dwell it. When the building contractor, the general contractor of a project, meets the final inspector, he won't be able to say, well, that knuckle-headed plumber, I told him not to do that. He'll say, no, sir, you were the general. You were the general of this project. It was your responsibility to make sure that every other contractor met the qualifications. You won't be able to pass the buck. When the homeowner shows up, he's going to look at the general contractor and he say, why didn't you take care of that before the final inspection came? That's how it'll be for us. We'll stand before God and we'll have to give an account. The final inspection, the complete investment, the final inspection. Why do we have it? Verses 11 through 17. Because it tests the craftsmanship. It exposes the weakness. It will highlight the strengths. The final inspection will hand over the reward. Or it will deny the request. And he'll say, cease and assist, do not occupy. Why do we have the final inspection? Because the law says so. I loved in that movie, Still Mine. He said, you little young punk, you don't know what you're talking about. There was buildings in this city that we revere that are over 200 years old. They didn't have an architect. They didn't have inspectors. They just had a vision and they built it. He said, yes, sir, you're right. That's how it was then, but that's not now. You see, my friends, today, the Bema judgment seat of Christ (coughs) is where our works are placed before him. And they will be tried by fire. And everything that we've done under the Spirit will become purer and purer and purer. Everything that we've done that was carnal, carnal Christianity, cheap grace, it'll be like wood and hay. The hotter the fire gets, the quicker it burns. Now here's the reality. Every one of us will stand before God. If you are born again, you will not be judged at the great white throne of judgment. You will be judged at the Bema judgment seat of Christ. And Boy, there's a lot of teaching on this. I could teach a whole series on this. Maybe I ought to. But that is the determination of the rewards. Now, Jesus is the ultimate reward of heaven. I really don't know what we're going to do with our crowns in heaven. But here's what I do know is that the chief crown of heaven, the royal diadem of heaven said, I love my children enough that when they get to heaven, I want to give them some rewards. You know, there's songs about it. There's been preaching about it. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe you just want to lay your crowns at the feet of Jesus. I don't know. Maybe you want to parade yours around in heaven. I don't know. I really don't care. Here's what I care about. Is that at the judgment seat of Christ, 
The only thing that will bring forth the crowns of rejoicing, the crowns of rewards, will be that that it was done unto the Spirit and not done unto the flesh. Now, somebody says, what's he going to do to us? Well, my brothers and sisters, the Bible says that we will be saved as yet though through the fire. Now, here's what is going to be punishment enough. For you to stand before the Prince of Life, who was nailed to the cross for you and for me. For me to stand before him. <clears throat> and give an account for my life. And all I have is a little bit of ashes to lay at his feet. My friends, I don't know. That's going to be a pretty strict judgment. For you to lift up to the prince of life and say, here's my ashes. This is all I could do in the flesh. After all you did in the spirit. Today, where are we? What is God doing in our hearts, in our lives? Now, let me speak to you a little bit deeper here. The interesting dynamic is this. <clears throat> and this is where people really struggle with the security of the believer. Understanding the security of the believer in Christ. That God is able to keep all of those who are in his hand. All of those who's been committed unto him. You know, his word says nobody can pluck them out of his hand. This is why people struggle with this. Because they teach salvation and judgment apart from the judgment of the believer in Christ. We as believers will stand before the Bema judgment seat. The word Bema is mentioned in, in uh, 2 Corinthians and in Romans it's translated in the Greek the judgment seat translated in the Greek means Bema which is the elevated platform where they pass out the rewards I'm going to tell you today my friends for somebody to preach the security of the believer without the judgment seat of Christ is really almost heresy for the believer because you're not preaching the full gospel you're not preaching the full thing together. You can't live any way you want to and never have to give an account for it. I know that's not popular. I know that's not going to make you want to run down here and put more money in the offering box. But I tell you what it will do. It'll encourage you. It'll strengthen you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to enforce legalism on you. I'm just telling you that God said everything we do under the flesh is like precious jewels, like gold, costly stones. And the hotter the fire gets, the purer they become. Everything done under the flesh will be as wood, hay, and stubble. It'll, it will be tried on the foundation of Christ as by the fire. That's why he says you will be saved you know, he's not trying you for your salvation. He's trying you for what you've done after salvation. And boy, there's the big difference. That's what's missing in our world that we live in today. I'm not talking about globally. I'm talking about our world. That's what's missing in our country. Is accountability. Accountability. I saw a bumper sticker just this week. 
and said, can you really be a Christian and pro-choice? You know, we think about how can we live and be contrary to God's word. The interesting dynamic is this. That we will, there will be the final inspection. And it's not a threat. It's God's word. And it's God's word is the final authority. Today, there are certain groups that believe they can nullify the Word of God. But I'm telling you, preachers think they can get together and they can figure this thing out and change God's Word, but they can't. At the end of the day, you will be tried as a believer. Now, there's a whole other sermon for the the great white throne judgment where all the unbelievers will show up. They won't make it into heaven. It'll be too late. But I don't want you to be saved through the fire. I want you to be able to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, here are my crowns. I want to keep them. I'm sure he'll say, okay, I didn't. That's what I created them for. If you want to say, Lord, I want to lay them at your feet. I'm sure that's what he'll do. But many of us are going to stand before Christ embarrassed. Let me show you an embar- what an embarrassment looks like in, a, in the building. Look at this picture right here. This picture is just south of town. You've probably passed it <clears throat> many times. <clears throat> Somebody went through this problem, this project. They built this whole building. It's pretty nice looking, isn't it? It's been there for years. It's never been occupied. Because they got the building, the plans approved. They got the final inspection to occupy it. But you know what they didn't get? Was the okay from the Louisiana State Highway Department to put a culvert in to give them access. And if you go just south of town, you can see this building. And you know what's funny? Right out in front of that pretty foyer park, There's a big culvert laying there by the fence. Everything there is there except the final okay. I'm going to tell you, a lot of us, that's how we're going to be when we stand before Jesus. We've done a lot of of moving. We've done a lot of shaking. We've done a lot of building. But we hadn't done it according to his word. And so, therefore, people will stand around and say, wow, they never counted the cost. What a shame. What, 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 what a person couldn't do with that building if they could just get to it, huh? Wow. Oh, my goodness. We missed the fundamental step. I tell you what, I don't want you to stand before God. I don't want to stand before God and say, Lord, I forgot to give them the fundamental step to let them know that we have to give an account one day for how we live as believers.